Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Friday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, we take your calls regarding Georgia's law that includes a lot of changes to the state's election system. So we're opening the phone lines for another Feedback Friday. Your number, 404-870-0135. Again, 404-870-0135. But first, as always, our daily update on the COVID-19 pandemic. Of course, it still exists, folks. Another 945 coronavirus cases were confirmed yesterday here in Georgia. Now, this brings the total number of confirmed cases since last March. And we're getting toward that one million number. Not quite there, but here's a number. 853,273 confirmed coronavirus cases. And since all of this began, 16,664 Georgians have died due to the virus. And the total number of hospitalizations holding a little bit steady. It's now at 58,908. Now, in some related news, MARTA plans to restore some bus routes that were previously suspended due to the pandemic. Starting Saturday, April 24th, the state's largest public transit authority will bring back those 58 routes. Now, this comes just about one year after MARTA made the move to suspend 70 of its 110 bus routes. CEO Jeff Parker says thanks to federal funding, the transit authority installed new new air filtration systems on all the buses. So that, again, is good news for many of you that rely on MARTA, but that is starting April 24th. And for more information, please visit MARTA's website to find out exactly which of those bus routes will be restored. And finally, Georgia secured a victory in the long, and I do mean long, standing legal battle with Florida over water usage. The U.S. Supreme Court rejected a request by Florida to limit Georgia's water use. The ruling came yesterday. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean it's the end of this decades-long fight over water. There could be other lawsuits. Governor Brian Kemp is pleased. Quote, he says the Supreme Court's unanimous decision is a resounding victory for Georgia and a vindication of years-long effort by multiple governors and attorneys generals here in the Peach State to protect our citizens' water rights. Florida did not exactly agree with that, but stay tuned. Coming up next, Morehouse College professor Ilya Davis joins me for another edition of Feedback Friday. Here is the question. Is Georgia's new voting law restrictive or reassuring a fair election system in our state? Your number, 404-870-0135. This is Closer Look.
Hey, a closer look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Continues now. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. From the moment... Dozens of these voting voting related bills were introduced during this past legislative session. Opponents and proponents began to have their say. Then last week, immediately after passing out of both chambers, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp signed into law Senate Bill 202. Now support and rejection of the measure was split down party lines. According to them, if you support voter ID for absentee ballots, you're a racist. According to them, if you believe in protecting the security and sanctity of the ballot box, you are, quote, Jim Crow in a suit and tie, end quote. I've fought these partisan activists tooth and nail for over 10 years to keep our elections secure. That, of course, is Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. And as backlash continued, there were calls for Atlanta-based corporations to speak out against the law. Coca-Cola CEO was criticized for not taking a stand prior to the law signing, but then later he spoke to CNBC. This is James Quincy. Let me be crystal clear and unequivocal. Uh, this legislation is unacceptable. Uh, it is a step backwards uh, and it does not uh, promote uh, principles we have stood for in Georgia uh, around broad access to voting, around voter convenience, uh, about ensuring it, uh, election uh, integrity. And this is, this is frankly just a step backwards. We've spent many decades uh, pr- promoting uh, within Georgia, a better society and a better environment for business. And this is a step backwards. And we're very clear on that. So since everybody else has been talking, we figured let's hear from our listeners because you all have a right to voice your opinion as well. Here's your question. Is Georgia's new voting law restrictive or reassuring a fair election system? Let's hear from you. Our numbers for Feedback Friday, 404-870-0135. Again, 404-870-0135. I've got Mike, Jenny, Judith, Allen all lined up. But to kick off this conversation, as he always does, I'm joined by Ilya Davis, philosophy professor at Morehouse College and the director of new student and transition programs. Professor Davis, glad to have you back for another Feedback Friday. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Let's before we get to our callers, you know, in our very first Feedback Friday, where you and I talked about the state of our nation's democracy and many callers called in and said it's it's fragile, it's broken. And so we hear now George is among 43 states that have introduced nearly 300 bills or amended changes, according to the Brennan Center for Justice. Now, they they label these as restrictive. And as I learned in school, the right to vote is essential to a well functioning democracy. What do these measures, through your lens, what do these measures do to continue if folks feel that our democracy is just in shambles or fractured or whatever you want to call it? Yes, it represents a dysfunctional structure. I mean, there's a sort of good and bad of democratic structures, and that is it's it's elastic. It's supposed to be pliable. It's supposed to be experimental. And so to the degree to which those what I believe to be virtues exist at the same time, 
they can also harm a democracy. And that is individuals who have access to certain powers can restrict the viability of expanding democratic ideals. And that is representation through voting, um, th through having their voices heard. And so the problem now is the very thing that makes democ democracy good is now causing the problems. And that is the voices that are being heard or the voices that need to be heard are being marginalized by those who have access to implement policies. And so these are supposed to be representatives, mm -hmm. right? That's a value of democracy, but they're not representing the sort of general voice and tenor of the electorate. And so it's suffering because of its openness. And this is the problem that the Democratic Party has as well. When you try to service a larger array of a dem uh, demographic, you're going to have more problems. And the issue right now is we're going to have to ask ourselves, are we trying to posit and promote the best and higher ideals versus trying to limit those things? And that's what we're having here. It's limiting versus expanding. And that's fundamental to a democracy. It's always supposed to be expanding, expanding, revising, revising, and recalibrating in light of what's needed. Well, let's go to the callers. Mike calling from Atlanta. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Hey, Mike. Hey, Mike. Hey. Yeah, I had a question. Um, I noticed that uh, the bill was signed about an hour after it was voted on, wound up being 95 pages. I question whether or not Kemp actually read it before he signed it. Um, it well, doesn't seem like there would be time, even if you do read above a third grade level. All I can say is that I think only the governor can answer that question. Let me ask you this, Mike, through your lens, and I appreciate you taking the call. Is this restrictive is it reassuring a fair election system i i think it's absolutely restrictive or at least restricting it is taking away this they've talked about it expanding voting and i think if you actually looked at the numbers of the counties where they expanded voting and the percentage of people that didn't vote versus the number of people that are being disenfranchised by cutting back on the uh on the apps on the, the drop-off locations and the hours for those just that alone i think you're going to see that the numbers don't add up to an expansion it's definitely a contraction all right, Mike, I, Mike from Atlanta, I appreciate you taking the time. Stay safe. Let's go to Jenny. Jenny's calling from Woodstock. Jenny, I appreciate you taking the time. Hi. Hey. I have a couple of questions for you. We'll do our best to answer them. <laughs> the thing that I don't understand totally about this, and it is a restrictive bill, I do believe, mm -hmm. um, Why? what's the motive behind removing drop boxes four days before the election comes due? Well, what I can tell you what the lawmakers who proposed the bill and backed the bill have said, that it will, through their lens, it will make it easier. I mean, drop boxes still exist. Um, it will make it easier for the drop boxes to be secured. Now, this is through their language. Um, but the drop boxes... From what I understand, if I'm wrong, someone will tell me, well, these boxes where they will be located will be at the discretion of the board of registrars or, you know, whatever, whomever. They can decide where these go and they will be inside. inside. Location. They right. will be inside. I understand that part. Right. So but why are they why can you not use it up until the day of the election? That's a good question. Day, the, and the understanding that I have is that four days prior they will, you can't do that anymore, period. That is a good question. If it is designed to cut down on fraud, as we all know, there has never, to my knowledge, been any I know. evidence okay. of fraud 
full disclosure, I know a lot of my neighbors use drop boxes. They enjoyed oh, it because, did. yeah, because it, you know, was right around the corner and, yes. you know, it was convenient. So, Well, taking them away at the last minute just doesn't seem, that's illogical in anybody's book. <laughs> well, you know, Jenny, a lot of people have said that. How are you all doing out there in Woodstock? I'm just curious. We're doing fine. I live in a house divided. Really? How's that going? That goes all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, hang in there, Jenny. I appreciate Thank it. Okay. You. Thanks right. so much. Bye right. bye. Bye bye. Let's check in with Judith, who's calling from Atlanta. Judith, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Hi, Rose. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. I enjoy your show. Thank you. But I have some serious questions about how this voting suppression bill is being covered. First of all, I don't really understand what is the big deal about showing ID when you vote, either through absentee ballot or in person. Well, you know, Judith, a lot of people have stated that. And here's what I will tell you. If for some folks they think it's necessary, obviously, because you need to prove who you are. That's a given. Right. Others say, well, for absentee voting is my signature, which is on file. Is that not enough? So there are two sides to that. What do you think? Well, well, showing signature, matching signatures is a little archaic. I think that uh, showing the last four digits of your Social Security number or your uh, voter ID is really not a big deal. Our son has cerebral palsy. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very difficult for him to vote, but he wants to vote. He has very strong opinions about voting. And he needs to vote absentee, but he has a state ID. It's not that difficult to get one. Well, Everyone I, can get one. Well, and I will say for some folks, you know, for some voting rights advocates will say, well, listen, also understand you want folks to maybe scan in or try to, to scan in and then send in the, the picture. And, and then you get into all other issues related to access, connectivity. I get all that. I'm just presenting both sides. Well, I mean, it it is a way to verify who you are and that, you know, it's you who's voting. And and that seems reasonable. A lot of people would agree with you. Okay. (laughs) You know, Judith, this is why we we want callers. We want people to have their opinion. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What do you say to someone that says, well, there hasn't been any proof that there's been any fraud, so why implement this new measure if you don't need it when it's worked before in the past. Well, I, and I agree with you there. I mean, this does seem like a knee-jerk reaction to um, people who want to cover for the what I call the big lie. Um, I think the thing that bothers me the most about this bill is stripping the Secretary of State of his or her power. And whoever the politi- whatever political party is in power, this has some long-term uh, effects down the road, whether it's a Republican in power or a Democrat. This is just not, I mean, just stripping, you know, the Secretary of State of power to appease um, some former president is, is not good um, legislation. So that is faulty. But I have no problem with voters, you know, writing in their ID um, or having somebody help them write in their ID. I think that's much better than just trying to match signatures. That's a hard thing to do. I think this would, be, you know, help um, 
you know, implement the legitimacy of who you are and who's voting. Um, yeah, and you know, you know that's Judith. That's a point that a lot of folks have have made. And then on the other side, I can understand folks with their viewpoint that say, "Look, you know, keep in mind that these some of these voter ID laws, the history of voter ID laws in states like Georgia, have depressed mostly people of color." So there, you can but can you? I'm just I'm just asking. To. It doesn't need to. It doesn't need to be a depressing thing. I mean, I was raised in a state where, A, we never were able to vote on Sunday, um, you know, and the whole call about um, voter integrity never even was, you know, an issue. Where were you raised, Judith? Judith, let me ask you. I was raised in Minnesota. So I understand historically since the 1900s and Reconstruction that um, extremists or, you know, white supremacists have been calling for voter integrity. I realize that historically that is, see, I listen to your show. (laughs) It has historically been a problem. But, you know, showing voter ID today is, is a modern way to, you know, have accountability. Um, I just don't see it as a really big issue. The other thing I want to talk about is is the water, <laughs> because that's been brought up so many times. And what's the magic number? How many feet would be accessible? I mean, I think it was a little silly that they, you know, set it at 150 feet. Would yeah. 50 and, and feet I, and, be better? And Judith, I'm glad you brought feet? that up, because I do think it's fair. And Judith, I'm going to have to let you go, because I do think it's fair. So, but keep listening. I do think it's fair to note that, according to this law, there are certain there's a certain distance that is required in order to hand out water and food, what have you. However, for some folks, what's the what's the harm? Why in, implement something that wasn't an issue before? So, Professor Davis, before I get to Tony and, and Alan, I want to just follow up with something that Judith talked about. Judith talked about her experience in Minnesota. And we know everyone has a different lived experience. And when we talk about the history with some voter ID laws, and not just Georgia, but we can say the South, folks can un- folks should understand how that is a problem. How that's been problematic through, through decades here. Not trying to get you to change Judith's mind, but people should understand that this is this has been a problem in the past. Mm-hmm. they're relying on Murphy's law. And so when people talk about, of course, one should have an identification or an identification process for voting, for example, that's fine. But when you rely on Murphy's law to undermine the integrity of potential voters, and what I mean by that is this, that if I give you more requirements to successfully achieve the result of having your vote counted, there is a likely percentage of your failure to comply with that structure which means now I'm playing the numbers. I'm playing statistical outcomes. That is, you may write the wrong number. You may provide the wrong external information if it's an absentee ballot, and I get to exclude those. Mm -hmm. So what is happening here is not so much the request for identification, it's the possibility of error that would reduce the number of votes that may count against you. Is Georgia's new voting law restrictive or reassuring a fair election system? That is our question 
On this edition of Feedback Friday here on Closer Look, your numbers 404-870-0135. Again, 404-870-0135. Let's head out to Snellville with Tony. Tony, thanks for taking the time. Hey. Hey. Uh, So I just wanted to mention a quote from a book by Wilhelm Reich, and it states that, you know, tradition uh, becomes the bane of democracy when it denies the rising generation the possibility of choice. And there are so many shows you've had where I've wanted to call in and say that exact quote, but I feel like this is a very good example of where not only the rising generation, but just the community as a whole doesn't have a say in what's happening. Uh, And for it to be a voting law, and I do also think it's restrictive, for it to be a voting law, to not have a choice in the voting law, and for the law to be for voting, which is also a part of our choice, uh, I just I feel like, yes, it's very restrictive. Okay. I'm a bit winded. <laughs> no, no, it's okay, Tony. That's that's what this is for. I appreciate you taking the call. Professor, uh, Tony came up with a quote. I know you like quotes, uh, but Tony has a valid point, as a lot of people have pointed out. How is this about the democracy that's, that we all want to enjoy when it comes to voting, but then you are also taking it away from the people to choose their own leaders because there's a measure in there that would strip counties and cities you know, from being able to hold accountable their own election chiefs. What do you make of that? And, and and you know what is, this is the problem. Over the years, I have learned at my old yet not too old age, and that is never try to make a rational explanation for unreasonable reasoning process. And what I mean by that is they didn't reach these conclusions through proper reasoning processes, but we're trying to evaluate it predicated on proper reasoning. And so they won't match. And so for someone to act or for structures to behave this way, it's not a reasonable behavior. And so it's in conflict with reason, because the problem is everyone's asking the question, this doesn't make sense. Why would you restrict? There was nothing that demonstrated that there was any failing in the structures. That's well, unreasonable. Well, and let's let's look, let's talk about this before I get to Alan and Murphy and before we go to break, because a lot of folks have said, look, let's be really clear about this. This comes right after a presidential election where Georgia went to Joe Biden, where Georgia was tangled in a lot of lies, because that's what they were from then President Donald Trump and his supporters, and that these measures, and it's not just Georgia, are an attempt to to not only get support from his base, but also there there are other elections coming up. I mean, that's what people have said. I'm not making this up. So therein lies the whole, when you talk about the necessity for all of this. And all it the other optics sense. around this 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 law. Now, let's be um, honest here. This makes sense for the loser to attempt to implement these programs or these structures. Of course it does. Uh, and so from a strategic standpoint, this makes all the sense in the world to them. But there is a sense of self-deception that is functioning here is you can't create a ra- reality and force other people to live in it. And that's what they're doing. There were no issues with the election. This was considered to be one of, if not the safest, uh, most protected elections in the last 50, 60 years. But the idea is when you are self-deceived, you are the deceiver and the one being deceived simultaneously, which creates a paradox. So these individuals have now come to the vote by saying something's wrong. I don't know what it is. And they believe something is wrong. And then they act in accordance with the assumption that something was wrong when when it wasn't wrong. Nothing was problematic about it. But from a strategic standpoint, it makes all the sense in the world. I need to put things in place to afford me 
a likely outcome that I would that I would approve of. And that's where we're stuck. It's fundamentally self-deception. It doesn't find grounding anywhere. Why would you change something when you can't demonstrate that it required or needed change? That's the false assumption of people. Just because it's new, which is a fallacy, just because it's new doesn't mean it's better. Right. And if things are functioning properly, you don't recalibrate it. If anything, you expand it. So what you're supposed to say is this election worked very well. How can we expand the things that worked well versus restrict them? Well, when Governor Kemp said this is an expansive bill. Uh, let's go to Alan, who's calling <laughs> from. Sm- I, I'm just giving you the facts, man. Alan from Smyrna. Thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Hi, Rose. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. What do you have to say? So uh, I think that, first of all, without a doubt, this this bill is restrictive. And not only is it restrictive, it it is designed to be that way. And the measures that are contained within it are proven to disproportionately affect black and brown voters. And, and, and while I appreciate, you know, this conversation and the question, I, I actually believe we're asking the wrong question because okay. the bill is obviously restrictive and is based on, on, on a false premise. As the professor was just saying, there was no problem with election integrity last year. It was a secure election. And so the, the question I believe we should be asking is why was this bill passed? And, and it seems obvious. It was passed in order to win the next election, in order to suppress black and brown votes. And I think it's important to be to be honest about that. It, it's well, that's what we just, well, and that's what the professor talked about. He just talked about. So, Alan, a lot of people do agree with you. Let me ask you, this, Alan, if it's not too personal, do you do you vote? You're you're a registered voter. You vote, correct? I do. You ever had any issues or challenges? No, I don't. Um, I'm also white, and I also, you know, want to learn uh, from history and from current practice what, what is really going on when, when bills like this pass. And, and so I don't think we can afford to take answers from the governor and his allies at face value, because we know from history that, that measures around uh, voting regulations can look fair, at face value, but are deliberately designed, um, can be deliberately designed to disproportionately impact certain populations. And I think that's what we're seeing here. And I'm glad that, that folks are finally speaking up about it, um, mm. including large corporations like Delta and Coca-Cola. And we're going to hit on that in just a moment. Alan, thank you so much for taking the time. As we go to break, let's try to get one more call in. Let's go to Murphy, who's calling from Atlanta. Hey, Murphy. Turn your, hey. turn your radio down for me a little bit. Sure. How you doing? Good. You want to talk about voting uh, ID requirements, huh? Yeah, that's right. So um, I heard a caller earlier say that um, what's the big deal asking people to show a voter ID? Everyone has a driver's license or some type of ID. And I will say that's very true for the people that, you know, I'm around every day and that I, um, you know, talk to day to day, that it's pretty much 100%. Everybody does have an ID and a driver's license. Um, But according to statistics, there's an entire, like, 7% of the population that doesn't have an ID. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like a huge number to me. 
Um, but that's just because of, you know, the bubble that I and I assume the caller as well live in. And then when you further break it down by race, um, it's only 5% of the white population doesn't have an ID, whereas 13% of black Georgians don't have an ID. So that's a clear racial impact as well as, um, you know, having the impact in general on voter suppression overall. There's also a disparate impact on African-American populations. So, I mean, it does sound reasonable on its face to ask for proof of identification, but it's um, important to realize that there's a whole 7% of people that they can't do that. Mm-hmm. Murphy, thank you so much for taking the time. You bring up some very valid points. I really appreciate that. As we go to break, hang with me, Taylor and John. We'll get to you the question. And maybe, you know, Murphy had a good, uh, callers had a good point. You know, maybe we should ask some other questions. But when we come back, Professor, I want to talk about the effectiveness of uh, economic boycotts because there were some calls for that. Our number is 404-870-0135. As we ask the question, is Georgia's new voting law restrictive or is it really to reassure a fair election system? 404-870-0135. Feedback Friday on Closer Look. We're back in a moment. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. It's our edition of Feedback Friday, and our numbers are 404-870-0135. Again, 404-870-0135. I'm joined by Ilya Davis, philosophy professor at Morehouse College and the director of New Students and Transition Programs. Before I get to Taylor, Omega, Scott, and John, Professor, your thoughts real quickly on the effectiveness of, of an economic boycott when we talk about folks calling for others, for the community, for the public, to boycott those corporations or those large businesses that maybe did not speak out enough or have not spoken out, period. You know, we know the importance of the Montgomery bus boycott. We know about the boycott of U.S. corporations invested in, in South Africa. We know about what happened with the Freedom Religious bills that were introduced some years ago and how the business community got behind that. Well, what do you make of that strategy right now in this, I guess what we call the modern day civil rights and human rights movement? I think it can be beneficial, but at the same time, I find it problematic that these institutions, these corporations did not come out ahead of the request for protest because it is a moral question. And what we do is expect more of them as good citizens. These corporations have a responsibility. And so it is not as if the citizens are requesting something that they don't have a right to, right? I mean, I fundamentally engage your company financially, consistently, enrich your company. You should find some reciprocity necessary. And that is my contingency, um, it might be suffering from very draconian, brazen implementations of law that restrict their freedoms. Well, as a corporation, you have a responsibility to that citizenry. And what we've done over the years is allowed a neoliberal dissociation, right? That the individual stands alone and whatever you do, it only has impacts on you. It, I mean, that's a problem. And so my point about these corporations is nice that they are going to respond. I've seen many of Microsoft has made a statement, Coca-Cola, as you said, that's nice. 
but they're going to have to be proactive. And that is they need to understand how problematic this is prior to the citizens saying we're going to boycott you if you don't, because then the language becomes we're being forced or coerced versus these are our moral responsibilities to our constituency. Well, let me get your thoughts on this real quickly. When we talk about calls for Major League Baseball to move the All-Star game out of Cobb County slash Atlanta, for those that really think it's Atlanta. Um, but you're also talking about a game that generates a lot of money for the community and folks who work at that ballpark and a lot of folks who are black and brown folks are just folks, period. Their, their race doesn't matter. Folks who work at that ballpark and the surrounding businesses and we're in a pandemic, didn't have baseball much of last year. Definitely there was no All-Star game. So can you understand people saying, but look, if we do that and if Major League Baseball pulls this game out of Georgia, you are hurting also the same people that you vow that you're, you're, you're trying to protect their voting rights for. Where do you stand in that? Understood. Understood. But, and I hate to sound this way, I don't want to create a strong, hard, utilitarian, principled response. And that is some people obviously will not benefit from boycotts. But the idea is the corporation is, it owes its constituency, as I said. And maybe they should think more carefully about how they engage the constituency such that that their employees don't suffer disproportionately than they need to. And so there's always going to be, sadly, some people who may not benefit. But the idea here is that the greater good, which is my point about the utility principle, is that the greater good is that um, that these individuals or these corporations understand, because now you're trying to persuade these economic economically powerful industries, baseball for one, Mm -hmm. To step up and be morally responsible. Okay. Let's go to Scott, who's calling from Alpharetta. Scott, I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for holding. Oh, I appreciate it, man. I love your show. Uh, first time caller. I, I just wanted to, <laughs> wanted to comment um, on a couple things. I mean, we seem to be focusing on the restrictive nature of this and all the news uh, articles I read uh, on this voter bill. And I don't, I see very little attention paid to the fact that it seems like hours have increased in voting. Um, you know, from, for instance, 9 to 5 to 7 to 7, as well as weekend voting. And, and I don't see that even covered at all. Um, and secondly, um, the professor made a comment about lack of sound reasoning. And I think if you look at the previous election cycles, um, the the amount of rejected ballots was significantly higher, something like 10 times higher than this recent election. So I think some more measures you know, to put in place to at least look at that would be you know, something to consider. Well, and Scott, you are right. There were some changes made because um, this is that de- it is definitely different than the first one. There were some changes made and you are correct that they did expand some hours in, in for early for voting. So you are correct on that point. Um, it, but when you weigh, Scott, have you when you weigh, I guess, what some consider restrictive and some consider the expansive, would you agree that it is there is an imbalance there? Uh, you know, I think it's hard. It's, it's hard. I think there's some, mm-hmm. some points for both on, on either side. I mean, I think, um, you know, that the voter box issue is certainly something to, to look at. I, you know, I'm to- at least in the information I've read, it seems like the number of boxes was not reduced across the state. Um, but uh, there might be a disparate impact on, on, you know, certain counties like Fulton County and so forth. Well, they, they actually they the, the number there is the number of drop boxes will be decrease from what I understand. I mean, so now the issue for a lot of folks is that why are you moving the drop boxes inside 
There was no, there's been no evidence to su support that there was some fraud. From what I understand, where the drop boxes were located, they were in a high secure area. I don't know how you could get into a drop box. That's just me, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's just me. I appreciate yeah, taking. I, it. Go I, ahead. I agree. Thank you. No, so much. I, I agree with you on that, um, and and I think it's uh, you know, there's really there does seem to be an underlying effort to go after. Uh, the amount of absentee ballots or certainly the perception that, uh, you know, some of those aren't legitimate or a portion of those aren't legitimate. So I can certainly see your point. Yeah. And also keep in mind, Scott, now we have you talk about the large counties. You talk about your Fulton and, and DeKalb and Gwinnett. You know, you need more than just a few a few drop boxes. I'm just being fair. I mean, those are large counties. And if they're reducing those numbers to, what, 23? I you understand some folks having an issue with that. So. Just sure. Present him. Well, like I said, love it. Love your show, and I appreciate listening to you. All right, thanks, Scott. I appreciate it. Let's go to John, who's calling from Alpharetta. Oh, I'm sorry, calling from Atlanta. John, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for holding. Yeah. Hey. What you got for me, John? Ron, I don't know if I'm a majority or minority, but there's a lot of us um, good God-fearing liberals that believe that everybody's lost the big picture here. The big picture is that when Republicans talk about wanting to preserve the fairness of elections, they're being disingenuous. And Democrats, when they tell us that they're trying to, that it's unfair to ask people to have an ID to go to an election, that that's a you know, duly unreasonable request, that they're being disingenuous. And I think the only way for us to beat them is to beat them at their own game. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me that people can find a way to go shopping, find a way to go to church, find a way to do all the things that they're not supposed to be, quote, doing right now during this thing, but they can't go vote. They can't find a way to have, if they're, if they're aged and they, their grandchildren can't say, Nana, we're going to go get you a, an ID, a state ID, so that you can vote because it's important, then it, it, it strikes me as odd that we can't beat them at their own game. If they're going to have these restrictive laws and everybody's, aware, deep down in their soul, that these are restrictive laws and restrictive for one reason only, if we can't beat them at their own game, then shame on us. Get a get an ID, follow the rules that they've set, and say, bam, you know what? You can try, and you can try, and you can try, but it's but it's ridiculous for, you, for us to be having a, uh, a, a debate over these petty little things that we all know are just hogwash. I just don't understand why we can't just say, okay, fine, you want to do what? Okay, this and this and this. Tick all the boxes. Great. Come back, double string. Everybody needs to go out and enlist one more person to beat these people at their own game. And water them down and kick them out of town. <laughs> He's like a football coach, John. I appreciate <laughs> that. Thanks for taking the call. Thanks for taking the time. I appreciate that. Let's go up to Taylor from Woodstock. Taylor, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Taylor, you with me? Yes. What you got for me, Taylor? Um, well, with so many states trying to uh, pass restrictive laws, it seems that too many state legislatures are controlled by Republicans. I guess my question is, what role has gerrymandering played in state legislatures being controlled by so many Republicans in such a significant way? Oh, Taylor, you bring up an interesting question. Here's what I will tell you, Taylor. And we know that it, with the history of gerrymandering, and for those folks that may not be familiar with that, we're ta now talking about, you know, districting, redistricting, drawing lines, which might 
favor one political party or the other. Um, here's what I will tell you is that if folks want to change a controlling party in their state, whatever that is, all I can tell you is that you have to vote. Professor, you want to chime in on that? That's all I can tell you. I think you you hit it dead on the head. And that is, I think that's a profound statement to make. Gerrymandering does feed into this very idea. That mm-hmm. is, how do they get a majority when if one were to take, you know, a, a very cursory analysis of numbers, it doesn't seem to be proportioned properly. So gerrymandering fundamentally has to do with disproportionate proportioning, if you will, <laughs> and how you draw the lines. I mean, sometimes you look at a Georgia map and you're wondering, did a three-year-old create the, the, the lines? They go all over the place. And that has happened. And that has happened after major presidential elections or midterms that has happened, not just in Georgia, that has happened throughout this nation. It is a to me as a history buff, it is fascinating to research. (laughs) So, Taylor, I would suggest that you 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 dig into that because it is it's quite something. And Taylor, well, it definitely should be something where it's a nonpartisan group. creating those. Oh, Taylor, now you're trying to bring in some sense and folks don't always want to hear some common sense. I appreciate you, Taylor. Thanks a lot. (laughs) Let's go. Let's head up to Atlanta with Omega. Omega, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. All right. What you got for me? I already said that I'm going to talk about the uh, escalation of the boycott to just basically put the kibosh on this whole nonsense. You think that's you think that's how you do it? You think that's the effective way to do it? I mean, here's the thing. You know, the escalation, I mean, literally take it to the Georgia Port Authority. Have the Georgia Port Authority Homeland Security officers who are working the port reassigned to a desk, and they will have to effectively shut down the port. And we need to just basically let it be known, because you got love but you got tough love these people are letting us know that they will resort to jim crow pre-slave anything they got to do they have no care and yes let's talk about the voter suppression you know this last election cycle the long line and they will not put the signs out letting them know that there are other places to go vote but they're going to have people standing in line that are elderly and 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 and, and they're incapacitated, and they don't want because they don't want us to vote. And the thing is, is that okay? So we 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 put in the the Democrats. You know, we send two Democratic senators, and we're making a strong statement that we won't change. And the blowback is, oh well, we're just going to have to basically change the rules, do whatever. So Republicans do whatever they want, and there is no repercussion. You know, Democrats ask the Republicans for permission to do what the people, the constituencies are saying. This is what we want. Mm-hmm. So so the, my problem and my issue is people need to stop playing around with this. You know, there's a reason why their flag has a snake on it. You know, and if you put a snake in your pocket and you put your hand in your pocket and it bites you, you should have realized it was a snake the whole time. It's not going to change. All right, Omega, I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. Let's go to Armand, who's also calling from Atlanta. Armand, are you with me? Yes. What you got for me? Hey, Rose, how are you doing today? I'm fine. How are you, Armand? Is it Armand? I'm great. Yeah, yeah, you got it right. Okay. So, I mean, I've sort of got two points after listening to some of these calls. 
Firstly, you know, I've been hearing a lot about how, you know, we got to rely on these corporations to sort of fix the mess that um, we've gotten into. And I think one of the problems that us, you know, liberals or Democrats or sort of fair-minded people have run into is that it takes a big election to get us motivated. You know, how did we get into this place? How did we lose the legislature? And, you know, we are obviously got the deck stacked against us, but it's, you know, it comes down to turnout. And mm-hmm. Republicans are much better at turning out in smaller elections that sort of seem meaningless until, well, look, now they have control of the legislature and they can sort of pass bills like the one, you know, that we're dealing with. Well, and also, um, Armand, I want to remind you, too, as, as I when I spoke to my colleague Dennis O'Hare about this, um, in, in, as it relates to Georgia's uh, General Assembly, and we also had back when I believe Roy Barnes was governor, you also had some state lawmakers switch sides, which gave the, the Republican Party sort of the controlling party, if you will. So you have to throw all that in there as well. And and for folks who may not know this, there was a time, look, Sonny Perdue, Nathan Deal, they were Democrats. They switched, got into some good positions. So there's a lot to consider. That. I just want to just throw that in there as well, because mm-hmm. when we talk about Georgia's General Assembly, there's a whole lot of, as we call it, stuff that happened. Um, so, but you, so you're saying that then voters need to not just only come out during the big elections, but also in maybe midterms and also, but here's again, we talk about redistricting. There were some districts that were redrawn that favored the Republican party. And and a lot of folks had issues with that. So there, there are a lot of optics to this, but I hear what you're saying. No, definitely. And thank you for, you know, letting me in on that. I mean, I'm a college student, so I, I don't know, you know, no, that's OK. We that's what we're here for. Um, before I get to Deborah and Mara, uh, Professor Davis, interesting what the callers are saying. Look, folks have to vote regardless of your political affiliation. You have to exercise your right to vote. But then when you have these measures in place that for many appear to be restricting that, then then and therein lies the problem. What do you say to folks then like what Armand and some other folks just said about then what do we do? And I think that's probably one of the most programmatic things to think about. And I've been asking friends of mine, there are ways, for example, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, they're working actively on this along with ACLU, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority have all signed on to lawsuits against Georgia and these other states. And I think that makes all the sense in the world. For those of us who are not in the legal profession, our responsibility is how do you rebuff and redress these draconian behaviors? And so my point is, If we have the restriction of providing sustenance, the warming, as they call it, well, I think it's 150 feet away from the poles. I'll be 152 feet away from the poles and that we will provide services. So hypothetically, we'll allow Miss Scott to come out of line, get her water and go back. And the person who was behind her will allow her to get back in line. Right. That's just creating something on on spot. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to create ways of being um, innovative that offset what they've done with these restrictions. So just because they've expanded the voting times doesn't mean that the restrictions are not just um, protracted now. We just have longer times to have restrictions. So the idea would be, according to the uh, caller, we have to be proactive as best we can prior to the elections to get people out, get these IDs for them prior to the next election. All right. Let's check in with Deborah, who's calling from Buckhead. Deborah, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. What you got for me? Oh, hey. Hey. Hey, hello. I thought 
thought that was the operator. Hi, my name's Deborah, and uh, I live in Buckhead. I'm 63 years old, three-year-old white woman who considers herself a active voting rights advocate for at least six years now. Mm-hmm. And uh, in response to the man who said we can beat them at their own game. I believe that to a certain extent because we have enough voting rights advocates here in Georgia now where I think people are going to come out in full force. However, I think the one issue, and you'll have to excuse me because I haven't listened to uh, part of the show in, in uh, anticipation of you um, of answering the phone here, mm-hmm. uh, but, um, but I think the one biggest issue is this business of the ruling party taking control of the election and doing what? the former president wanted all these states to do to begin with. And that is the major issue here, is taking the power from the Secretary of State and from the Board of Elections. And what in the heck are we going to do to fight this, even if H.R. 1 passes and it goes to the Supreme Court? Or will it go to the Supreme Court? That's my question. We have to do something, because this is an assault on democracy. Well, and while some folks are see this as a strategy in terms of, and Deborah, thank you for taking time. I really appreciate it. As some folks see this as strategy that perhaps you want the courts to intervene, but you, you never know what, what that could entail, uh, Professor. But also, listen, stripping, removing the Secretary of State as a voting member of the state election board, folks find that problematic. Um, this is a, a Republican-controlled legislature, legislature, no doubt about that, that would have control over the state election board. Folks have issues with that. We can understand that. Uh, let's check in with Mara. Mara, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. What you got for me? First of all, I'm not a Kemp fan, but I will say it is archaic to think that signature matching is ever going to work after the argument that happened the last time. I will say that he's smart enough, and I don't think he's super smart, don't get me wrong. I think he's trying to put out, I believe, we're trying to put out the fire before it happens, which we need to because it was so inflamed the last time with the election that we need to deal with it before it happens again. We don't need another war. And the churches and families can go out and get ID for people. This is, this is ridiculous. Everybody has ID. Just anybody can get ID. I'd be willing to go drive, a, drive out and go get some ID. And so would many, many other people. And we're missing that point. And why are the corporations even involved? First of all, he agrees, Coca-Cola or whoever it was, and, and then he disagrees. Well, he should have kept his mouth shut mm-hmm. because he looks, he looks like a weak link now. It got down to money. That's what it got down to, you know? Well, one would argue, doesn't it always sometimes come down to money? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that should not, that is not the way that the Lord put it, and it is Easter weekend. And we all need to get along, but we do need things in place to have a better government, secure ID. And I totally agree with that. Even if there's no fraud, what's the big deal? Just go get ID and stop fighting. I mean, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I'm a fair person. I I, I love every person that's a kind person. And I just think that this is the wrong thing. This is the wrong route to keep, keep it up, that it's all... Kemp's fault. Well, and then the water bottle thing, that's a joke. Oh, anybody should be able to, everybody should be able to give what they want to do to influence the vote, because that's what politics are. 
go out on the street and get people out. I appreciate you, Mara. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate that. Let me head on out to Atlanta and talk to Belinda real quickly. Belinda, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Hey, how are you, Rose? Doing all right. You got about 30 seconds, Belinda. I apologize. Okay, okay. The overriding power of this law is that the Republican legislators have the authority to remove city, county, electoral board members, and secretary of state if the Republicans are not satisfied with the results of the election. And so, therefore, the Republicans, with this power, which overrides everything else, it overrides water given to people, it mm-hmm. overrides food given to people, it overrides uh, us providing Georgia IT, it overrides all of that because the Republicans legislators will then have the right to select their representatives. They will remove, they have that right in this field. And so therefore they're taking away our right as voters. I appreciate that, Belinda. I got to let you go on that. I do apologize. I apologize. And Perry, we couldn't get to you. Professor Davis, thank you so much for taking the time as always. I appreciate it. Closer Look is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. And, of course, you can always catch us online at wabe.org slash closer look. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.